of you who are watching online and on television. For those of you who are in the room, would you please give our online and television audience a big hand? It's a great day. If you have a Bible, please uh, turn, in that, uh, turn your Bible to Luke chapter 2. We're going to get there in just a moment, Luke chapter 2. Uh, a few announcements here. Tonight is our Blue Christmas uh, service. That'll be at 4 p.m. Uh, right here in the worship center. Uh, we know that uh, the holidays are not always easy. And so we like to create space to where uh, we can actually grieve together. Some people are walking into uh, this Christmas for the first time uh, without a loved one. Some people are going through a lot in their own life. And this, again, just creates space for us to come together, for us to worship, for us to receive words of hope and pray. And um, so if that's you, uh, please come and be a part of that service. I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, also, I hope that you received one of these on your way in. Uh, look like this. They say, Worship Wednesdays. Uh, this is a multi-generational focus on music and prayer on Wednesday nights. You can see all the different age groups that are there from our kids, our students, uh, also adult choirs, our orchestra, things like that. Also, something that's brand new is we're going to be starting a prayer meeting in here at 6 o'clock. It'll go 6 to 6.45, uh, and that's going to be a pastor's prayer meeting that I'm going to lead. And you may say, well... You know, I don't want to pray out loud in front of people. It's okay. You won't have to. Uh, that's fine. We're going to uh, continue to look in the Word. And what does the Word say about prayer? How does that instruct this? And then we're going to pray. We're going to carve space out of our week to pray for specific needs each week and to pray for our church, especially uh, as we're moving forward together. I uh, do want to make you aware as well. Uh, thank you to uh, Elizabeth and Jenny and our missions department. They did send some money uh, uh, up north because of the tornadoes. Uh, they sent some money to, uh, they'll be used in Kentucky and around there. And so thank you so much. Uh, for your generous giving uh, that you do each and every week. Thank you for that. It is a blessing to so many people, and we're able to respond to things like that uh, as they arise. Now, you know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 11:30. it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. The one who is wise saves lives. In Acts 4.12, Acts 4.12 tells us that Jesus is the only one who can save a life. And so you say, how does that work? One of our callings as Christians is to uh, help connect people to Jesus. And one of the best ways that we can do that, especially around holidays like the Christmas season, is to invite people to come and to be a part of a worship service here. And I want to encourage you to do that. We have our candlelight worship services coming up uh, this week. You see the dates there on the screen. We have a Christmas Eve Eve service. That'll be a contemporary service in here at 6 o'clock. And then on December 24th, we'll have a 4 p.m. traditional service and a 6 p.m. contemporary service. And I just want to encourage you to, uh, to be praying about who is it that God is putting on your heart for you to invite. Uh, you know, Christmas in many ways is surpassed Easter on people accepting that invitation to come to church. And so please be praying about that and ask the Lord who that is uh, for you. Uh, before we get started, one more thing, uh, and that is uh, one of the things we do each and every week uh, is we remind ourselves that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than just us in this room. 
And so we pray for other local churches, we pray for other ministries, and we want to do that again today. We want to pray for Tom Bridges and Let God Arise Ministry, an amazing ministry uh, in the prison system. And uh, so we just want to ask God to bless them as we ask God to bless us this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much because you are so good. And as we come to this moment to where once again you're going to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we may see you. Lord, we pray for Tom. We pray for Let God Arise Ministry. We pray your blessings on them. And Lord, we just pray that more and more people will be reached through their efforts. And Lord, we ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us. Lord, Lord we need you to speak. We need you to reveal yourself and make yourself known. So would you do that? For your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. You know, if you look around the world, um, fear is on the rise. There's a whole lot of anxiety in the global system, if you really think about it. There's horrible flooding right now in South Sudan. It's the worst in 60 years. It's destroying crops, it's destroying houses. It's horrible. You know, in the Arctic, Siberia, there's a town there that hit 100.4 degrees this past week. Tornadoes are tearing through the United States. You just look around, and there's a lot going on out there, and there's a lot to be afraid of, a lot. Not to mention we have our government leaders at each other's throats constantly. Not to mention inflation. Not to mention gas prices. Not to mention we could go on and on and on. There's, there's a lot to be afraid of right now. And yet God's message over and over is do not fear. Don't be afraid. In every situation, do not fear. Under every circumstance, do not be afraid. Every single time. That's God's message to us. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And, and Paul told Timothy that the spirit that is in you is not a spirit of fear. So, so when God says, do not be afraid, it's not just in your own strength and with your own power, do not be afraid. No, he says, the very spirit that is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, is not a spirit of fear. Which means if fear arises in us, that fear is not from God. It's not from God. This is the same message that we have been looking at throughout Advent. It's the same message that God gives in our text today to the shepherds. In Luke chapter two, I wanna pick up the story in verse eight and I'll read down to verse 20. It says this. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly there was a great multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they re reported the message they were told that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. They were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Once again, here in this text, in an Advent text, we get the phrase, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But notice what comes along with this phrase, do not be afraid. When the angel appears to the shepherds, he says, do not be afraid, and then he immediately instructs him. He wants him to do something. He says, do not be afraid, look. Do not be afraid, look. There's something I want you to see. I want you to open your eyes. I want you to see something very, very important. You know, whenever we're afraid, one of our natural responses to fear is to close our eyes. Have you ever done that? You know, something happens, especially instantly around you, and then the reaction that we have many times is to close our eyes. In closing our eyes, we do that whenever we're afraid of something around us because it is a quick way to soothe fear and anxiety in our life, to close our eyes. It's a natural reaction that we have. Now, I would say this. I would say that in many ways, we are professional eye closers. I think we're really good at this. Really good. Many times, we're not just closing our eyes because of a physical fear around us. Many times, we close our eyes because we fear other things in life. Yes? Sometimes, we fear other people. And so we close our eyes to them. We don't want to think about them. We want to push them out of our mind. Sometimes we fear ideas. We may not like the idea. We may disagree with the idea. But, but we fear those ideas, and so we close our eyes to those ideas. Sometimes we fear reality. I and mean, if you really look around the world right now, there's a whole lot of pain in the world. A whole lot of pain. And sometimes we just, we just don't want to deal with the pain. We would rather live in a, a made-up reality that we can construct because we have filters on our phones, and when we take pictures, we can put the filters on there and make it look better. And sometimes we have to admit that, yes, reality is not always good. Yes, there is pain in reality. And sometimes the reality we don't want to deal with, the reality that we shut our eyes to, is that we are actually wrong. And so we just deny it. We close our eyes to it. It may not be our physical eyes, but we close the eyes of our heart, the Bible says. In fact, when Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he, he was praying for them. And here's what he said in Ephesians 1, 18, Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
so that you may know, notice this, so that you may know something. He's going to say a few things. So that you may know what is, notice that phrase, what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul says you're never going to know what these things are. You're never going to understand his calling out to you. You're never going to understand the hope that we have. You're never going to understand the glorious inheritance that we have. You're never going to understand the greatness of his power toward those who believe unless the eyes of your heart are open. There are certain things, there are spiritual realities that we're never going to understand unless God opens the eyes of our heart. And then he tells us later in Ephesians, matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he tells us what it looks like to live without your eyes, the eyes of your heart opened. In verse 17, he talks about Gentiles. And here he uses the phrase Gentiles, meaning someone who does not have a relationship with God. He says, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as Gentiles live. In the futility of their thinking, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. That's one problem. They are excluded from the life of God. That's the second problem. Why is this? Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. When Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, he's saying it is very important that the eyes of our heart be opened, that we open our eyes and see. Because there's something that God wants us to see. And yes, we have to look through the brokenness of this life, but we have to look through the brokenness so that we can see the beauty of Christ. And we have to see it, and then we have to seek after it. God is very much interested in our eyes being opened. Again, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally, in every way so that we can see what he is doing. Now, the question is, what does God want us to see? Well, let's go back to the shepherds in Luke chapter two. He tells them, after he says, do not be afraid, look, the first thing he says is, I proclaim to you, there's a message I'm proclaiming. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The first thing he says, the first thing that he wants them to see is that there is good news that produces great joy that is for every single person. No one is, is excluded from this news. Absolutely no one. This is a message for every single person, even the people you don't like, even the people who didn't vote like you, right? I'll just see if you're awake. Just see if you're awake. Yeah? This is a message for every single person. Every single person. And it is good news that produces great joy. Now, I mean, think about that, especially if you're a Christian in the room, okay? If you're a Christian in the room, let me say this. There are sometimes some Christians can take the greatest news on the planet and make it sound like you're reading an obituary or something, right? I mean, I mean, this is, like, we could, this is the greatest news on the planet. And to hear some Christians talk about it, it's like watching a Chucky movie or something. I, I don't know. Hey, that just came out. So anyway, but it's like, you know, I'm just like, ah, no, 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 this is good news, people. <laughs> this is like really good news. And it produces great joy. And it's for every single person. You see, the only limitation that this good news has is the means by which is communicated. It's the only limitation it has. It's that good. And what God does in this story is he sends an angel, number one, 
angel shows up, terrifies the shepherds, which I'd be terrified too, but he terrifies the shepherds, right? He says, no, don't be afraid. This is really good news. And then as he's explaining that, a whole choir from heaven erupts and they're worshiping. And then ultimately, the people who in this text go and share this good news of great joy for all people are shepherds. Shepherds. Now they are right outside Bethlehem, the city of David, who was a shepherd and who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. So it's very appropriate that God appeared to shepherds. But I've asked myself the question, why did, why did God appear to these shepherds? And there's many reasons for that, I think. But one of the reasons is, I believe, is because shepherds know what it's like to watch over a flock. To put it another way, shepherds, they care. And when you care, you share. And God wanted them to share this message. When you really care about the message and you care about people, you share the message with people. God knew they would do that. So the first thing he says is that there's really good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. But what is the news? He tells us in verse 11. Verse 11, here's the good news. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. Notice that. The Savior's already born, was born for you. This is the good news. But notice the titles that he uses. A Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Notice those three titles that are used. Savior, Messiah, Lord. Uh, right, right here he's saying, the good news that produces great joy that is for all people is that the Messiah has come and that Messiah is, to be the Messiah is both Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord. Now the Messiah has come who can save you from your sins, but he does not just leave you after that. No, he's Lord of your life. He can redeem you, and he can rule over your life. And you need both of those things to have a Messiah. Both of them. It's not a one-time thing. It's not save you, then gone. Or it's not just Lord over your life, but not save you. No, 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 it's both of those things together. Have you ever noticed that whenever we baptize an adult, we, we ask two questions, just two questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you put your whole trust in his grace, Savior? Number two, do you promise to serve Jesus as the Lord of your life for all of your life? Those are the two questions we ask. And we ask those two questions because of Romans 10, 9. We didn't just make them up. Because of Romans 10, 9. Because those are the two things. That if you believe, then you believe in the Messiah. He is my Savior, yes, and He is also my Lord, the Lord of my life. This is the good news. It's good news that produces great joy. You're never going to get to joy without those things. If you're going to have a Messiah, Savior and Lord. That's what produces great joy in our life, and it's for every single person. Then the angel says, here's how you're going to know this is true. He says, there is a sign. We see it in verse 12. Verse 12 says, this will be the sign for you, the angel says. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. This is so important. You know, around the holidays, we, we do a lot with mangers, don't we? I mean, there, mangers are everywhere. We have mangers all around the church right now. And sometimes we forget, in all of the decorations, we forget 
that it's not about the manger as much as it is about the one who is in the manger. You know, growing up, uh, my parents had a, a dog. It was a black cocker spaniel. Its name was Spuff. I have no idea why my mom named him her Spuff, but Spuff. Black Cocker Spaniel, and, and, and the, he loved like throw a tennis ball, you know, he'd run and get the ball, you know, and bring it back, and the ball's all slobbery, you know, and somehow we think this is fun. You know, and we just throw it through the house again, I don't know why, and it bounces on things, and the dog brings it back. Well, sometimes Spuff, you know, you'd throw the ball, and Spuff wouldn't see you throw the ball. And, and so you'd go, Spuff, go get the ball. You'd point your finger, right? And Spuff would stare at my finger. It's like, no, 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 don't look at the, go get the ball. It's, it's over there. She'd so look at your foot, you know, go get the ball. You know, you'd have to get up and go get the ball, show her the ball, and then throw it again, right? Many times that's how we are when it comes to Christmas. The manger points us to the Messiah. But so many times we're more focused on the manger. We're more focused on the decorations. We're more focused on all that stuff. This, this, this image, this moment, this sign right here was the gospel message. There's good news of great joy for all people. And that good news of great joy for all people is that the Messiah has come. And what that means for us is we have a Savior and we have a Lord. And then you see, verse 12, the manger. See, if we're going to be wrapped tightly in the arms of God, we have to humble ourselves to manger status. Whenever you wrap a baby tightly, you swaddle them. It makes them comfortable, makes them feel safe. If we're going to receive that kind of wrapping from God, we have to be able to identify with the humility of a manger. That's the gospel message to us. Over and over in different ways with different images and different metaphors, that's the gospel message for every one of us. It's good news of great joy for all people. The Messiah has come. He is Savior and He is Lord. Before, in order for you to have it, in order for you to experience, in order for you to experience God wrap Himself around you, all you have to do is humble yourself and receive it. Now, notice the response out of this. He tells them good news of great joy for all people. He tells them what that is. The Messiah has come. I mean, you have a Savior now. You have a Lord now. And then he says, here's the sign. The sign is in the manger, in the manger, not the manger itself. You must look to the one in the manger in order to experience the wrapping of God, the comfort of God, the grace of God, the love of God. You have to humble yourself to manger status. And then the response out of this is heaven erupts in worship. Now, if, if the shepherds were not terrified at an angel appearing, I mean, if a choir just bur burst out of nowhere, okay, I'm done, you know? I, I, I probably hit the deck. But all of a sudden, worship erupts. And in this moment, we see that worship is not found in a particular action, but worship is about the object of our affection. In this moment, in a field of all places. So what a worship service until they showed up because good news was proclaimed. And then not only was their worship taking place, notice what happened with the shepherds next. In verse 15, it says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, they said, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And then verse 16, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. They hurried 
off. You know, there's some things in life you need to be in a hurry about. I, I know that we spend a lot of our life trying to slow down. There's some things in life you really need to be in a hurry about. And seeking God is one of them. Seeking this Messiah who is Savior and Lord, that's one of them. You know, a lot of times we take a passive view to our faith. We just kind of sit back and say, I'm waiting on God. I want God to do something. I want God to speak. I want God to show me. I want God. Listen, God's done all of this for us. It's good news of great joy for all people, including you right now. That good news is Messiah, Savior, Lord, right now, right now. You've seen the sign. The sign is the one who is wrapped tightly in a manger. You know the message. You understand the message. It's right now. And a lot of times we think, well, I'm just waiting on God. What, what if, what if God is waiting on you? What if God is wanting you to hurry up and to seek him, to look for him? You know, when the people of Israel were going into the promised land in Deuteronomy 4, 28, God told them, he said, if, if you search for me with all your heart and soul, you will find me. If, if you do it. No guarantee. He's not making them. If people of Israel go into exile, God speaks through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me with all your heart, you will find me. If you do. He's not going to make them, but he's waiting on them. Jesus shows up on the scene, Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, seek, knock. The one who asks receives. The one who seeks, they will find. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's a promise. And Jesus is sitting here saying, the Father's waiting. He's just waiting. What if God is waiting on you to hurry up? To open your eyes and to see him. You know, Proverbs 8.35 says, God says, whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Luke 2, 14, right here in our text, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors, favors. You see, in this moment, the shepherds have this encounter. They hear about this good news of great joy for all people. The good news, the Messiah has come, meaning we have a Savior, we have a Lord. And the sign is he is the one in the manger. They see it. Worship erupts. They go seeking after this Christ. They hurry off, the text says. And the same should be true for me and you. We should be in a hurry to seek Christ and my prayers that we will not lose sight of Christ in the midst of a season called Christmas. So what happens? Verse 16, they see the sign. They find him. They find Mary, Joseph, and the baby just as it was told to them. And then, verse 17, they leave and there's proclamation. They go tell everybody that this has happened. They go tell everybody that this has happened. They are the ones preaching this good news of great joy that's for all people. And they say it's true. And people are amazed. But notice that they go share this message because they're in the midst of worship. And in the midst of that worship, they go seeking this Christ. And as they're seeking this Christ, God reveals himself to them. And then they share. You know, a lot of Christians don't share because there's no fresh worship in their life. 
And a lot of Christians don't share because there's no fresh seeking in their life. And a lot of Christians don't share because there's no fresh revelation of God in their life. And if you're here and you call yourself a Christian, we have to make sure that we put ourselves in these positions. Listen, God's on the move. He's doing things. He's erupting all over this planet. All over this planet. And when God shows up and God does something amazing, just like he did in this text, we have to make sure that we receive that in the moment, but then we seek after him because he is, he is making things known to us. He is revealing himself. And he wants to ultimately guide your life. And whenever that's happening, you have something to share. That's when you have something to share. That's why a lot of people would say, well, you share your faith, and I don't know what to say. Well, what's God doing now? That's what the shepherd shared. And then the result in verse 20 was satisfaction, joy, ultimate satisfaction and joy in their life. It says they went glorifying and praising God. They lived their lives just simply glorifying, praising God. I think that's what we all want. But it came because in this moment, when God showed up, they sought the Messiah. And my challenge to you, if you are a Christian in the room, my challenge to you is, who's one person? Just one person by the end of the year that you can tell about this good news of great joy that's for all people. If you really believe it's good news, and you really believe it produces great joy, and you really believe it's for all people, who can you tell? If you're here and you're not a Christian, I say this. This good news of great joy is for you. There really is a Messiah. He can save your life, and then he can be your guide. He can be Lord of your life. And my prayer is that as we go into this Christmas season, wherever we find ourselves, as we go into this Christmas season, we never lose sight of that. He is Savior, he is Lord, and this is for every single person. So may that be what they hear from us. Amen? Father, I thank you. Because this message that has come is for each and every person here, each and every person watching online, each and every person on television. And Lord, it is a message that you want to share through us. So Lord, would you do that? May we live our lives just like these shepherds, not in fear, but ultimately in the end, after seeking you, after finding you, after you revealing yourself to us, may we share it with others and then live our lives glorifying and praising you because you and you alone deserve it. Lord, would you let that be so in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.